What's the intro music you guys have? I've never listened to this podcast. It's a random clip from um, GarageBand. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we assign you homework and then talk about a variety of uh, pop culture uh, media in the vein of education and general discussion questions. My name is Peter Romberg. I'm a curriculum developer and also right now a f uh, post-Halloween party uh, attendee since I hosted one on Saturday. As always, joining me for this podcast is... Uh, I'm Martha Sullivan, and real fast, I just want to go back to the part where you called yourself Peter? Oh, whatever. I don't know that I've ever heard you refer to yourself by your full name. But anyway, I am Martha Sullivan, a foreign correspondent and teen librarian. And where are you corresponding from? Well, I earlier, um, I have recently returned from the foreign wilds of Kentucky, uh, which where I was uh, doing professional librarian things all weekend. So I'm still sort of in professional mode yes i've heard of this kentucky that you speak of uh <laughs> joining us this week is our special third chair guest that is me is, is this what i talk is this yes. the part where i talk yes this Great. is the part where it you is talk. hey my name introduce is yourself Romberg. oh i'm mark romberg how about that uh it is my honor my privilege and my pleasure to be pete's brother hey that's what i do professionally hey. uh as a side gig <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, I do like twenty things: um, graphic designer, artist, bar manager, bartender, MC. Sometimes uh, it's like seriously twenty things. Cool. Well, glad to have you aboard. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about masks, which is a topic that uh, Mark suggested. But Jeez. before we get into that, we're going to give you, our listeners, our pop culture credentials. These are the things that we have consumed most recently before this podcast began, excluding the homework for those of us who pushed the homework all the way up to the last minute. Um, we're not uh, editing it for relevancy, uh, cool factor, or anything like that. So, uh, Martha, start us off. What is your pop culture credential? Uh, well, technically, I was watching a lot of Monster Factory while I cleaned my house this afternoon. But what I want to talk to you guys about is this movie pass thing I just signed up for, mm. um, which is a $10 a month subscription that lets me go see a movie a day for free. What? So hopefully my credentials are going to be a lot more exciting in the uh, next coming episodes. This is like you go to a movie theater and instead of yeah. paying $10 to go see one movie, you pay $10 to see a month of movies. Well, I pay a third-party company $10 a month, and then I just go to the movie theater, and they run my card, and I don't get charged for the movie on a day-by-day -day basis. What? Whoa. That's a sweet so, deal. Wait, it's like yes. unlimited movies per day, but you're always paying 10 no, it's bucks per one, month? No, it's one movie per day. One movie per day for 10 bucks a so, month. That's yeah, so theoretically, it's 30 to 31 movies a month, but I don't have that kind of time more realistically it's probably going to be like two movies a week <laughs> <laughs> and and this is the perfect time to be getting that sort of pass now that like oscar season is sort of gearing up well heck yeah 
totally derailed the conversation. What even are like Oscar movies that are coming out? I've not even been aware. Of I have no idea. The okay. only one I can think of is Marshall. Well, Thor mm. and the, Justice League, the those are uh, uh, Oscar contenders, right? Yeah. I'm laughing yeah. so hard that I just physically died. Just so you know. No, I have no idea, but I'm excited yeah. to find out. Cool. All right, Mark, what is your pop culture credential? Um, so is it like literally the last thing or like the last new thing? The last thing you consumed other than the homework? Because I know, like me, you were reading that up until <laughs> five minutes ago. That is true. Um, the last thing I consumed um, just now uh, in my living room, I was listening to the seminal Drake album, uh, Take Care. Um, it is a classic record that uh, everyone should be familiar with by now. Uh, it came out in November of 2011 and chronicles Drake's uh, many uh, emotional moments, many uh, sort of haphazard personal stories, uh, stuff like that, you know? It's, it's, it's a modern classic. <laughs> All right. Drake is one of those musicians that I don't listen to as much as I should slash as much as it might be expected uh... that I do. <laughs> I don't know. Drake's Drake. Drake's Drake, 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 Drake. Yeah, is Drake the guy who did like this dropped like the surprise studio album a while ago? Uh, like uh, surprise like... remixes of some of his stuff or uh... I don't know who Drake is. You don't know who Drake is? <laughs> he does he's I do uh... on an I do on an intellectual level. I just don't know that I would ever be able to identify his music. I I uh... really only know Hotline Bling. And he's oh, on, never mind. He's on reality work. Uh, what about Take Care? I the song. That one. No, it's based. Maybe on if someone played song? it for me. Is that the thing we can do? I here? don't. Um, no, no, we're not doing that sometimes. now. Um, anyway, he's a big. He's a big. He's a. He's a star, baby. He's the biggest guy out there these days. He was also on a what the OC or the other one, right? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, he was in Degrassi back in go. like. Canadian Degrassi in like 2000 or something. He's also Canadian and also half Jewish. If I was going to quote unquote the other one, I don't know that the other one would be Degrassi. <laughs> what else would it be? Also, this is like my my lack of knowledge of mid aughts like, Probably, probably Dawson's say. Creek? That or, was um... Gossip Girl or something? No, Gossip Girl was later. Well, Dawson's Creek was earlier. I'm going to admit that's that I am true. deeply in over my head in this conversation. Uh, well, because I don't know any of those things. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, my credential is um, a podcast. So recently, the last couple days at work, I've been doing uh, a lot more things where I can be listening to a podcast rather than music because I'm not reading and editing as much text where I, I couldn't listen to someone talking at me. What I'm doing now, I can listen to someone, like, be talking at me. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and the most recent one I've listened to is the newest episode of the Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan. Um, I actually just went to Madison this weekend to go to a book thing that he did and get his new book signed, so I'm, I'm deeply in the Mike Duncan fandom right now. Um, we're talking about the uh, revolutions of 1848 which is revolutions is a history podcast um this series is on uh, 1848 revolutions in europe so uh it's something entirely up my alley <laughs> uh how was madison 
You went to Madison to meet this man? Oh, That's I, correct? I did, yeah. Uh, Madison yeah. was rainy, but otherwise great. Um, the yeah. event was right on the Capitol Square, so we got to check out the farmer's market and, um, yeah, do that. Did you hurl any garbage at the Capitol? Should have, but didn't. Really it, missed an opportunity. You know, it was a rainy, dull, gray day. Um, yeah. And if it had been nicer out, we would have spent more time there and possibly hurled garbage at the Capitol building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Martha, did you have anything you wanted to add about my pop culture credential, about listening to a podcast and seeing the podcaster Is person? It about... Bragging about it. Oh, I missed your story about seeing the podcaster, but I did see Marin's Instagram photos, so I think I'm caught up on that. Yep, that was basically um, the story. It's just that you're a huge nerd. Mm. Yeah, agree. but that's cool we don't judge here yep well no there's we're we're gonna be talking about a deep cut comic book that you assigned mark so (laughs) let's not throw stones like for for as much as i may not have enjoyed it i was impressed at the uh (laughs) at the selection Uh, i'm pretty cool i know all right. Well, speaking... I'm not sure anybody said that actually, <laughs> but well, speaking of that, let's yeah. get into our actual uh, discussion and homework. So, uh, as usual, we assigned three pieces of homework, um, all around the theme of masks, and possibly because we were all trying a little bit too hard, none of us hey chose now. a traditional <laughs> superhero comic or superhero story. Um, they we were all... too easy. Yeah, we were all thinking about it, but then went differently. So this is going to be a lot of metaphorical masks. Uh, Before we do a quick going around to talk about our homeworks and what we thought about them, um, I'm just going to give you the guidepost of the main discussion questions we're going to be thinking about and talking about later in the episode. First, what do masks do for characters? What is the impetus to don a mask? Again, either a physical mask or a metaphorical mask. Uh, Second... How do characters get lost behind their masks, and what impact does that have? And then finally, how can the idea of masks help people who might have difficulty functioning in society in some way actually function and uh, survive, hopefully thrive, in society? So how can masks be used um, in, in a more positive and maybe even practical way? So that's the discussion that we're going to be getting into, but before we go there, uh, let's do a quick whip around and talk about our homeworks, introduce them. Martha, we'll start with you. Sure, and first, I just want to say, in terms of trying too hard when thinking about this homework, you clearly don't read our own podcast blog, because (laughs) I have been finding an excuse to talk about Hannibal for almost every single topic that we've covered. And this was just the first time I got to do it like officially. Well, no, I'm, I'm just so... glad that we were both like psyching each other into choosing Hannibal. Like I was thinking about doing it. You were thinking about doing it. Uh, and, and so I'm glad that we had the opportunity to talk about it and for you to have the opportunity to assign it. It is my favorite TV show. Um, Hannibal uh, is refers to a number of, of uh, media projects, but specifically today we're going to be talking about the 2013 uh, TV show uh, created by Brian Fuller and starring Hugh Dancy as uh, Will Graham, the FBI special agent, and Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter. 
uh, who we all know as Anthony Hopkins, pretty much, before uh, Mads Mikkelsen took his turn. Um, This TV show, Chronicle, it all happens before the sort of iconic uh, events of Silence of the Lambs. Uh, And specifically, I wanted to talk today about three particular episodes. Uh, The pilot episode, Aperitif, which has uh, Will Graham, with the assistance of Hannibal, hunting down a serial killer who is killing uh, 18 to 20-year-old young brunette uh, girls, kidnapping them from college and then... Presumably killing them. They never find their bodies and you find out by the end of the episode, spoiler alert, that he is eating them. Uh, Episode 7, Sorbet, which is perhaps my favorite episode of the first season because of the montage, the recipe card montage. It's so good. Where you see Hannibal flip through his Rolodex and his recipe book and put together a giant dinner party. Uh with uh, pieces of people who have been rude to him. Uh, and then episode 10, Buffet, Fro- Buffet Freud, uh, which deals with a uh, woman who cannot see faces uh, and also has an interesting disorder called Cotard syndrome, uh, wherein the person who has it doesn't know, doesn't understand or can't tell if they are dead or not. The Cotard syndrome is also super terrifying because it's usually combined with, like, either actual rotting skin or thinking that your skin is rotting and also that you're dead. It sounds terrifying. Yeah, it's a delusional disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had, I had, I could have assigned, so I ended up watching the entire first season because I have a problem. Um, but I... <laughs> I could have assigned, I think, any episodes from this show because the whole kind of premise of this show is people pretending to be something that they're not. Um, I picked these three episodes in particular because I thought that they had the most, the strongest thematic connection to what we were going to be talking about. Um, But I wanted to know what you guys, what your, have you guys watched the show before? Um, What your relationship to the show was? And then your sort of feelings about how it connects to our theme before I get into specifics of how I think that. Um, I I love Hannibal as well. Um, I don't think quite as much as you. I wouldn't say that it's my favorite show of all time. Like I I said, I have a, I have a problem. (laughs) Well, and specifically I, I love seasons one and two. Um, season three, it gets a little wonkier, but, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, like you, after watching the first episode, I'm like, well, the next one I need to watch is seven, but I might have time to also watch two, three, four, five. Uh, I then didn't, but, um, I thought about it strongly. Uh, I loved episode seven, both because it has that gorgeous montage and it might be like the pinnacle of the food porn for season one, because it ends with that display of all the food like the enormous dinner he's cooked um and also it was the one that i immediately thought of when thinking of hannibal for this theme because it has um hannibal's psychiatrist uh brilliantly played by uh jillian anderson um which is really just how you can credit her in any film or tv show brilliantly played by brilliantly played by jillian yeah 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 definitely uh but absolutely it's where she talks about hannibal's person suit um, yes. Like, because he is a well, and that was 
That was the line that I picked that episode for. Mm-hmm. Um, the she she walks it back a little bit. She ends up sort of because you can see on Mads Mikkelsen's face that he's like not super happy with that characterization. So she walks it back to um, a human veil rather than a person suit. Um, <laughs> per- person suit I think might the... strike a little too close to home for an actual cannibal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's also the episode where you get to see sort of the peak of how Hannibal is uh, like the like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this. Well, I'm gonna start this with I don't think the mask that Hannibal wears is one of deception. Um, and I, you know, we're gonna get into this a little bit more later on. Um, but I think that this is like the peak of this episode is the peak of showing the kind of refinement that he shrouds himself in. Like with the incredibly fancy dinner party um, and the like elaborate recipes and preparations that he's using to disguise the fact that he's ultimately serving his guests human flesh um, and, you know, disguising this whole horrible act as one of like elegance and refinement. And, and also, I think, steering into eventually our discussion three question, like as a sociopath, he doesn't have empathy for people i i think it's clear he's a sociopath um he doesn't have empathy for people so he has this air of refinement and culture that he sort of uses as as his mask as to, as, as a oh yeah I'm yeah sorry. like he, to navigate society yeah uh, uh, yeah i, I don't know oh sorry mark i was gonna say i've never seen hannibal before before this actually and uh, i found it delightful um and violent and i'm uh, was shocked that it was on network TV. Right. Constantly. Every yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 um, the first but, time watching it, I had that same thought. Like, how are they getting away with this? I read, yeah, some, like, was small affiliate in, like, some, I don't know, some state somewhere. Uh, like, four episodes in, we're like, we're not showing this show anymore. And, like, just called it a day on that one. <laughs> um. But to backpedal just a little bit, um, I also, I had two other episodes that I made you guys watch, um, including the pilot, which I thought was a really good demonstration of how this show is about the masks that not only Hannibal has to wear, but also that Will wears. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will is the FBI uh, special agent, and his gift is being able to get inside the heads of these killers in order to find them and uh, prevent them from killing again. Um, And at one point... You know, Hannibal gets drawn into the story by uh, Will's supervising officer um, by saying, you know, Will is caught up in this uh, in the serial killer who's killing college girls and he's having a hard time figuring out like motive and all of that. And Hannibal says, I think I can help Will see his face, which ends up, I think, being sort of a theme of the show in general, like the way that Will takes on the personalities of these killers in order to see who they are and identify them and catch them. Mm-hmm. This is uh, just reminding me, uh, I didn't even thought about this. Um, are you guys familiar with a cartoonist named Steve Wolfhard? What has he done? Uh, he's worked as a storyboarder on Adventure Time for many years, and he's got a really funny and sad and silly comic called Cat Rackham. Um, 
I highly recommend him. But uh, Will's characterization, Steve Wolfhard had this tweet recently. He's a guy who has a very specific Twitter sort of uh, personality um, by virtue of the fact that, like, he's, like, silly and funny and weird, but also, like, very neurotic by his own uh, admission. Um, and he had this one tweet recently that was, like, sometimes the cats in my house chase around mice and the mice like squeak and freak out and my wife has to constantly remind me that i am not the mouse and it was like whoa okay that's that's will right there he's he's not the mouse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's a mongoose <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> by, by the way mads mickelson's delivery of that line was wonderful but his i could not understand what he said the first three times i watched it, i would say i watch I it with know. subtitles on yeah, I love me, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, I wish he was my dad, but I also sometimes... Oh, God. Like, I mean... Whoa, what are you saying, <laughs> Why would you wish that? Uh, he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, and then, just real fast, the last episode that I had you guys watch was episode number 10, um, where the, uh, as I already said, the um, killer is a delusional girl with Cotard syndrome, um, and there's also a scene, so she also can't see people's faces, which is why you find out she kills her friend in the first place, because she's convinced that it's an imposter wearing a mask. And at the end, she walks in on Hannibal killing a guy really, really violently, but she can't see that it's his face. Um, and, and he and he knows that, so he sort of just walks right up to her and hands her the knife and is like, here you go. You can't see yeah, me. And it Scissors, ends up, yeah. yeah, ends up framing her, being able to frame her for that particular murder because, you know, she, she can't identify him. She can't see him. So he gets to take on the guise of an innocent person once again. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, Hannibal's role in the episodes I watched, at least, as like a, a, a silly murder guy. He's like Bugs Bunny or something, I guess. He's always just like putting on disguises and getting into hijinks and being like, yeah, it wasn't me, Doc, and then kind of getting out of there. I don't know. <laughs> Possibly the first time Hannibal has been compared to Bugs Bunny. <laughs> he's just so, he's so slippery and elusive. You can never pin him down. And like even in that episode, not to spoil anything, he, he murders that doctor and... I would never say at any point in the episode it was a motive given there. It's just sort of like, he's Hannibal. You just got to kill somebody. He's hungry. I was going to say that the the, um, the first season of the show pulls one of the most spectacular bait and switches ever. Because um, what it ends up, and spoiler alert, I guess, um, <laughs> you should still watch it because it's great. Yeah. Uh, but what he ends up doing is pinning all of the murders that you have watched him do during the course of the show on will yeah i kind of i kind of read that sort of build up a little bit but yeah he's just such a he's just a scamp (laughs) (laughs) all right well with that let's uh transition to the next homework which is mark tell us a little bit about yours and then i will do a quick uh round the horn to discuss it and then hit mine and then go deep into the discussion questions that sounds like a plan. Um, I uh, assigned, the homework I assigned was Enigma, a Vertigo comic series uh, written by Peter Milligan and with artwork by Duncan Fregredo. Uh It was released in uh, March through October of 1993, eight issues long. And um, yeah, is this kind of surrealist, postmodernist, very 90s Vertigo style story. Um, about a guy whose name is Michael Smith, which is, of course, a very boring name. He lives a boring life. It's like a, 
almost like a blur album from the early 90s where damon albarn's like oh i don't know whatever blah 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 um and uh his life gets turned right upside down um when he notices that uh characters from his favorite comic book from when he was a child are certainly are, are suddenly manifesting in the real world and committing horrific crimes and it gets really weird that's a good summary <laughs> yeah uh um, it I was gonna say it goes way past that initial concept. I would say, but that is the that's the conceit of the book. My my biggest problem with this, it I grew to like it more the more I kept reading it, um, but it is so thoroughly '90s Vertigo, which I would define as being capital E edgy in just the worst of ways, um, and eventually it sort of almost feels like an. A, I couldn't tell if it was, like, a send-up of that or a self-aware aspect of that or if it just, like, was a, a product of its time. I think um, it's, like, both a little bit. Yeah. It, it yeah. was... First off, it's incredibly queer in a great way, like, in, in a shocking way for something in the early 90s. Um, um, I guess I don't know 90s um, Vertigo comics that well. <laughs> I... In a in a good way, you're you're saying? Are I, you you gonna stick to that one? It, it like it goes both ways on that one. Um, I think there's a lot of like it, it simultaneously there's a lot of gay panic in it, but also like it it is sort of presented positively in the end, in like the later couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before the show began that we all have very strong and different opinions about this. Here's the <laughs> thing: there's a spectrum of I opinions. I am sure. I am sure that when the writer wrote it, he intended for it to be a positive vision of homosexuality. I don't know that I would call it successful in that endeavor. Um, the main character is gay because somebody makes him that way. And that's not great. That's that's not... That's true. He that's also, not great. That's true. He also embraces that. L like, like after finding out that he got made that way and then um, having the option to become ungay, which is really problematic, uh, he well, still, like, embraces, you know, that, that new identity that he has. So that's he, more positive. He embraces the fact that he is different from the way he was before. So it's not just like oh i can make you straight again it's presented as i can return you to the way you were again like boring life and all of that mm -hmm. um i mean i think i think that plot point is a little uncomfortable i agree but i feel like the way it's delivered is um i don't know it, it it's the ending is so like diffuse and nebulous in the first place, how it like circles back structurally on the the framing of the narrator and how like it brings you to a climax and then doesn't show any of it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I didn't it, have any I didn't have any issues with the story. The story is what it was. It was very nineties, it was very vertigo. It's not exactly my cup of tea, but it wasn't like um it, it, it's very it's very Watchmen-esque in its kind of deconstruction of your expectations of superheroes and all of that. Right. I, I did not like 
what the book does with queerness and I did not like what it did with women or woman. Yep. Um, I had very big problems with both of those features. Uh, but the story itself I thought was kind of fascinating if it was just very, very dated at this point, I think. I, yeah, I, I I think that a lot of the problems coming out of it are partly that it's such a it is so heavily an early 90s thing. And there just wasn't as, as, you know, as much discussion and even just like as, as nuanced a discussion uh, that we would expect now. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on this before we uh, go to the, the final homework? Um, I guess I would just put in, and Pete and I were discussing this uh, at a bar recently, um, the structuring of the book... I find is very intentionally uh, kind of it's given away by the art. The art starts very messy and all over the place. And then by the end of it, it looks like a, like a Jill Thompson book or something like very sort of mannered and well illustrated. And I feel like that sort of uh, visual structuring is what is kind of what, the book is about i guess i don't know it's hard to articulate essentially what i'm getting at is um it mirrors this guy's life despite the fact that it's orderly and sensible in the first issue the art suggests it's actually abstract and stupid and weird and then by the end of it it's very abstract and stupid and weird this guy's life but all of a sudden it's kind of come together basically so i mark in your when you picked this piece Mm -hmm. um thinking about uh the theme of masks which character did you have in mind like what character yeah what character in this book was the one that made you kind of go this is what i want to talk about i mean i think mostly it's, it's the the main character the michael character because um i yeah i mean the the enigma wears a mask but it's not really uh he's actually thinking about it now. He's like a weird parallel to Hannibal in that he's a horrible monster, but he wears a mask of a superhero character to uh, contextualize himself better in society. Um, But yeah, the the Michael Smith character is sort of, uh, I guess, shed a mask at some point over the course of the story to become a different person. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, heading into the the final homework assignment, I assigned a Kurt Vonnegut book published in 1961 that I did not realize would feel as relevant as it did. Um, (laughs) Uncomfortably (laughs) relevant. uh, The book was Mother Night, which is a story of a man whose I think his first name is William. Howard. Howard, thank you. Uh, It's the story of Howard Campbell who is an American living in Germany before Hitler uh, as an author and a playwright and all that. Um, He gets recruited by the U.S. military to serve as a spy um, and broadcast messages to the Allies during the war. However, in order to do so, he must become a Nazi, um, and he becomes a very, very good Nazi. Uh, Broadcasting, working in the the propaganda department, creates incredible Nazi propaganda while also serving the Allied war effort. Um, these are his memoirs, fictional, uh, but still. Um, his memoirs about sort of 
his life during the war, after the war, the impact that it had on him. Um, I read this in college, thought like, oh, that was a great Kurt Vonnegut book, um, and then didn't pick it up again until I signed it for this, where two chapters in, I was just thinking like, oh god, it, this is a little relevant, um, a little too relevant. Uh, so, there we go. Thoughts on Mother Night? It's wonderful. I love it. I thought it was fascinating. I've never read a Vonnegut book before. Oh, really? Um, bad. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm just surprised. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not generally a big, like, war fiction person. Um, but, no, I thought it was really interesting. And I, I spent a lot of time talking about, with my husband, this idea of, like, at what point... What point? At what point does the good that you're doing no longer become an excuse for the bad stuff that happens because of what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is the the center question of, um, like at least the center question that Howard has as he's writing this book. Like, at what point did his did the fact that he was a an Allied spy no longer make up for the fact that he was like this huge Nazi inspiration and like did a lot of positive morale boosting for the bad guys. And, um, and, and circling around, he keeps coming into contact with things that he made to serve the Nazi cause still floating around the dregs of like neo-Nazi America in the sixties. Um, well, yeah, right. And he has like Nazi commanders tell him like, it was your words that kept me going. It was yeah, like, yeah. you and, that and, like, inspired me. Close to the end of the book, without spoiling anything specifically, you can um, spoil. We assume everyone's done their homework. Oh, yes. good. Um, just his his blue fairy godmother, the the general, is speaking to him and is basically like, "Yeah, probably the only person who has your best interests at heart right now is the uh, white nationalist psychopath guy." Like, he's he's he definitely admires you and likes you, and pretty much has your back and is your best interest in right now. Everybody else you know and love, they uh, they're actually trying to screw you over right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other thoughts on Mother Night before we jump into the discussion questions? Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know, Pete, what you thought of the um, the kind of secondary masked character that pops up towards the end of the book uh, when he thinks that his wife is back to him from the dead and you find out that it's actually his sister-in-law who so- pretends to be his wife for like... I don't know, 24 hours <laughs> and, and about 10 pages. Um, <laughs> it's funny when you were asking that question at first, I thought you were going to go to his best friend who is wearing a mask of who, who is actually a, um, a Soviet spy who's trying to set him up because nobody in this book is who they say they are, except for the neo-Nazi white nationalist. Yeah. Yeah. He knows um, what he is. Well- and but, I think what we're I think what we are finding is that in all of our homeworks, like everyone for one reason or another is like wearing some kind of like putting on some kind of effect. Yeah. Um so so what I thought specifically about Helga slash I'm gonna go Resi. Um mm-hmm. Resi. Um is my That first, was how I said it in my head. <laughs> yeah, my first thought is it reminded me a little bit of atonement. Um just in the sense of younger sister um, having a crush on older dude, husband, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Vonnegut's not great with women. Um, 
and that kind of shows through sense. here. Yeah, like he he is a masculine writer in the sense of like generally that's a positive attribute, but it also has the flip side that he has no idea what to do with women. Um, well, yeah, I feel like most of his stories are about him basically like yes. every single one of his main characters is is just kurt vonnegut and he he basically cops that half the time too he's like yeah that's that's me yeah um but yeah by virtue of that yeah every female character in his stories are usually like the love interest or the side character right with with resi it's, it's even more interesting because the more you learn about her the more layer she has at first you think it's his wife then you find out it's his sister or his sister-in-law um, who was impersonating his wife, uh, who died, uh, probably. Then you find out that his, it's still his sister-in-law, but she's actually a Soviet agent. Um, so it, she's definitely a, like an onion of, of masks and subterfuges. Um. To pull, to pull a, a metaphor from Shrek. Right, sure. Yes. <laughs> Russians, well, communists are onions. They have That's... layers. Um, they're nesting yeah, dolls. I, I missed that. That would have been a better one. Russian nesting dolls. Um, Do you want to start the podcast? Yeah, I don't... <laughs> start over. Yeah. Um, I don't know if either of you. I don't know if either of you read uh, Vonnegut's introduction to Mother Night, but yes. he has. Mm-hmm. Um, he asks in it like he's been asked what is the kind of main theme or the central idea of this book, and I wrote it down because I thought it encapsulated our episode pretty handily. Uh, He says, uh, I guess the main theme of this book would be we are who we pretend to be. Mm -hmm. And taking it like that, I I think that by the end of the book, Vonnegut has pretty much decided that Campbell is guilty of everything. That like being the spy doesn't excuse him from being a Nazi. Yeah, Um, right. And and Campbell doesn't excuse himself either. No, he has clearly come to that idea by the end of the book as well, because he kills himself, um, rather than undergo the trial, which he had already submitted himself to uh, to undergo. When, and he kills himself because um, he thinks he'll be exonerated for being a spy. I, I thought like, he killed himself because that was like his atonement for doing it. I, I thought it was, but he killed himself after he got the letter from his blue fairy godmother saying like i can prove everything and he was like right and he's still i don't want that right he still kills himself because he feels like the guilt that he feels is too much for him to yes go on living with even after he is i think we both agree is it i don't know that it's guilt that causes him to make that decision i think it's more to do with uh he uses that metaphor about how butchers in chicago uh use every part of the pig feel that he thinks by the end that he's he's been used and not in a way where he's like oh these people have used me i'm bitter about it so much as like what else can i be used for you've used every part i'm i'm over now this is it i don't have anything else to do hmm martha i'm on your reading here well i i don't know that those two ideas are mutually exclusive like the idea of that and the idea of we are we are ultimately who we pretend that we are. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a line also in the book, I don't remember where, where he's talking about, like, even if he's excused of committing crimes against humanity, he still committed crimes against himself um, by by being such a good Nazi, uh, and that that's why he needs to die. 
Yeah, or even that, like if if the uh, allies hadn't won, like what would he have done? And uh, it's like probably been a Nazi or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump into these questions. We've talked a lot about them or around them a little bit already. Um, mm-hmm. So the first one: What do the masks do for the characters, and what is the impetus of wearing the mask? Um, specifically, also both the pros and the cons of mask wearing, and and the cons I think are, are definitely in Mother Night, also in Enigma a little bit. Um, so I guess what what are these masks doing for these various characters? So for this, I want to go real fast. When we sat down, when we set out rather to do this theme, Pete, you sent me a Tumblr uh, post by Neil Gaiman that I think originally came from Mark. Yes, as that's correct. Kind of the uh, inspiration for that, um, and it's a it's a really lovely little story uh, from a friend of his who met David Bowie when he was a child um, at a showing of Labyrinth, and the the um, moral of the story is like, he gets a chance to talk to David Bowie about like, Oh, how can you uh, perform like that? How, you know, how do you, and and specifically that the, the person who met Bowie is on the spectrum. Um, So it's it's not just performing, but it's also, you know, right. So he's autistic and he gets this really lovely, uh, he has this really lovely chat with David Bowie where David Bowie takes an invisible mask off of his face and puts it on, gives it to the kid and you know basically the the message of this all is that everyone wears a mask even i have to wear a mask in order to feel okay in order to not be afraid um and to do what i can do and now you have your mask too and it's going to make things easier uh it's going to make it easier for you to um you know move through the world and be comfortable and i I think that that is kind of the root of all of it. Like when we can't, when we, and I say we encompassing like the characters that we're talking about and we as also people, you know, if we feel like we can't be around other people for whatever reason, if we have social anxiety, if we're secretly like high functioning cannibals, if we are, you know, whatever secrets we're keeping, we put on a mask of normalcy in order to, you know, pretend like we are like everyone else so so that's sort of masks as a defense mechanism uh and i'm i'm putting it that way because i think that that campbell in mother knight is slightly different because he sort of chose to to take on that task of 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 becoming a nazi becoming a propagandist to help the allied cause if he hadn't been recruited, it's possible he would have gone. He would have worn a different mask of living in in Nazi Germany, but being as apolitical as he could be, which is the life he was well, living before. Well, I guess but yeah. Mask... And is it not a defense, a defensive position? Regardless, he decides to put on this mask as almost a uh, means of sidestepping the responsibility of having to lead out the life that he had built for himself. Does that makes sense. Well, and he's also. I mean, he's also donning it because. It, otherwise he would have been caught like he has to um you know we we talk about him kind of unforgivingly but he was also passing along information that he could only do in his capacity as a nazi propagandist yes. so in that respect his his mask of nazism 
is also self-defense in that it prevented him from being caught by the Nazi party, prosecuted and prevented from doing his job. Right. But it, it was, I, I guess, in a way that's different than like Hannibal puts on his person suit because otherwise he would be um, too a clearly. Monster. Yeah, like a, a yeah. monster, identifiably so. Um, well, and see, this is the interesting thing about Hannibal, because I don't know that Hannibal would agree about agree with us on this characterization of wearing a mask because i think all of the like um elegance and refinement and social niceties i do think that all of that is real for him yes oh yeah he, he, well you you can you can decide to be batman and then love being batman but that doesn't mean you're not using your role as batman to mask your grief and pain from your parents dying uh, that's true Right, I, like he loves doing that stuff, but also he has to wear a mask because that stuff's not so good to do. And I guess get... I just wonder. I wonder how much of his quote-unquote mask wearing is conscious, as like if if he does it consciously, defensively, or if he if it's. I, I think it might be almost more of a game to him. Um, In... like trying to see who can see behind it oh uh, sure yeah. sure like like who is smart like, enough to figure this out who's smart enough because does um does bedelia talk about his does bedelia talk about his walls in the episode that we watched like it, it's natural to build walls and see who's smart enough to climb over them uh i think she said something i, don't know, I can't recall but that oh, it's a well. conversation they have in one of the episodes it may not have been in the one i assigned for homework but um so, you know, his mask is less a function of self-defense and more of a who is smart enough and worthy enough to see, like, who I really am. Mm -hmm. Well, but so that's that's almost like a, uh, I guess, a, a characterization of the Riddler, you know? Riddler's out there. He's, he's an egotist, essentially. Um, and he's like, uh, I'm the smartest person ever, and I'm going to challenge people to say they're smarter than me. And really, that's just mm -hmm. a fault of him being insecure about people not knowing how smart he is. So I, he's I got to prove it all the time. Exactly. Hannibal's almost the same way. He's like, listen, I'm the smartest, most cunning, most slippery, crazy person in the world. And uh, I need somebody to acknowledge this. So uh, I'm going to wear my mask and see who can get at me about this. As a fun aside, I'm glad nobody assigned any Batman stuff because I knew that Batman would enter the conversation just naturally speaking. <laughs> it's twice now I've right. talked about I, Batman already. I almost assigned, I almost figured out... It, it's not a Batman comic. I almost figured out which Wonder Woman comic it is mm. because there's a scene where she has she and Superman and Batman are all under the lasso of truth. And I don't remember why, but they are asked their real names. They are asked what their names are. I'm sure Batman and says Batman. Yes, he does. Yes. And that that's why I almost I almost assigned that one because then we could get into how Bruce Wayne is the mask and Batman yeah. is the real person. But um, Supplemental blog post. Let's just ignore the homework <laughs> then. Yeah, let's just, let's just talk about Batman this podcast. That's fine. Well, actually, this is a great segue, speaking of Batman. Um, characters getting Go lost on we were. behind their masks. Um, oh, my goodness. Because I think he's, you know, he's definitely an example of that. And uh, Campbell and Mother Knight absolutely in a way, is that he was always aware um, 
that he was like pretending to be a Nazi, but also he was an amazing Nazi. So for all outsiders, he was certainly lost behind his mask. I mean, I don't know if he was lost behind his mask. I think he was just really good at his job. So, so you think that by having yeah, that... Yeah, because I, I don't know that he could ever have been said to have started, like, believing in the Nazi ideals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has that old metaphor in the end about, like, the his brain is a, a clock, you know, with the cogs in it and everything like that. Yeah, I, I love that description. Yeah, yeah, some people have willingly uh, whittled down their cogs so that the gears don't work anymore because they are approached with a fact and they said, I don't need to know that fact. Um, and he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm missing some cogs inherently, but I've never whittled away at my own cogs. That, that was one I of those like passages to... where I was like, this is uh, too relevant right now. <laughs> no. Yeah, for real. Um, I would like to pose a question about Enigma. Mm. Uh, what do we think about the idea that the Enigma character wasn't anyone before he put on his mask? Well, he he was someone in a way in that he had a, a little world deep down in the well, you know? But I don't know how much of an identity he could have been said to have. Because, like, he didn't, really, he didn't really think of himself in terms of personhood. Right. Well, read... maybe, maybe a... Oh, go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry. I, I, I read somewhere described... It might have been the back cover of the, the comic um, that it was, a, <laughs> like, described as an existentialist comic. Um, where the the big thing there is your deeds create who you are. And I think that in that sense, he wasn't. Like, if, if we give it that it's an existentialist comic, I don't think he was a person until he came out from the well. Um, well I, th- I think he I mean, was put all potential. That, that comes down to how you describe... I would say he wasn't a person, but did he have an identity? I think I would say he did have an identity, not a personality, not a functioning personality, but he was still able to self-identify in some capacity that he was not a lizard and he was not God, basically. Sergeant Camus might disagree with you, but... Uh... <laughs> well, they're dead, well, so Camus was, I was going to say, Camus is full of... Camus is full of words that I've decided we don't say on this podcast, but... Um... Full of lizards. <laughs> yes, full of lizards. Um, but no, I mean, in, like, he doesn't, he doesn't have a name, he doesn't really have a purpose, he doesn't have, you know, he's sort of defined by this very small, um, kind of, this very small existence without a lot of the things that I think we would consider make us who we are, until he comes out of the or is forced out of the well and finds a purpose in this enigma comic like he doesn't he doesn't really have much to hold on to until he adopts the um until he adopts the enigma identity well and then the to to continue on that he he has no identity so he adopts the enigma identity because it's kind of the first one that he finds and discovers but by having that identity, he's able to slowly build a separate identity for himself, even distinct of that, which we sort of get into in the last couple pages, basically. Um, oh, when he runs out of comic story to reenact? Yeah, and has that, to wing it. Right, right, that. <laughs> uh, but also, like, even just near the end where he's, like, talking about how, you know, he's he has to go fight his mom because, you know, sure, let's bring in some, some Freudian issues here. Um, 
but he remember what I said about not liking how this uh, book treated women. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but he talks about like sort of how he's he's changed and learned even just in the short time that he's met Michael Smith. Um, so he he had this mask that he adopted as his identity, but it was really just a, a holding pattern as he unknowingly created a you know a new self for himself distinct from even the enigma identity but it's also what allowed him to do that oh totally yeah no no disagreement i just think i just think it's an interesting question to look at in um in comparison to the like people who have people who are who they are and then adopt a mask to be either something else or something slightly different because mm, here it's, here it's you have a blank a, slate here you have a character who adopts a mask in order to be someone mm-hmm. it, it, having come from nothing basically you're suggesting yeah 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 that is that is uh, i suppose novel among our examples although again i i would go back to um mother knight i feel like the uh lead character of that book howard um his existence prior to his role as a spy is uh, facile, I guess. He's doing what he loves, and he's making art, and he's happy, but... Yeah, that sounds like a terrible existence. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I think he's like a pretty self-interested style of person. As an artist, a pretty self-interested person. And the notion that he will continue to just make art and be happy is not enough for him. So he has to indulge himself by committing to this um, role of a sort of tortured pariah shell of a human sort of thing. Also Nazi. Sure. But like like Martha was saying, that's he was something and then he put on a mask to become something else rather than he oh. was a blank canvas. I guess, yeah. Um, so the idea of like getting lost behind your mask in conjunction, again, this Neil Gaiman Tumblr post has been on my mind for basically I, this whole last two weeks. I gotta say, since Mark um, showed it to me, I read it out loud to like three different groups of people, and I openly <laughs> cried every single time I was reading it. And like, I don't cry at things, so this was like an interesting experience for me. Well, and I, <sighs> my mask was sticking. Uh, Pete, you made me lose. Sorry. Uh, you made me lose my place. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, um, no, but this idea post. of getting lost... Yeah, this idea of getting lost behind uh, one's mask um, dub- and intersecting with this Neil Gaiman post about how, you know, to some degree, we all use masks in order to face the things that we're not comfortable facing. Um, I'm really fond of the idea of fake it till you make it, mm. which is where, like, you can pretend... I mean, we're all familiar with that idea, but specifically in this concept, in this context, it's like the idea of I am not a naturally, like extroverted person i don't like um you know i it's hard for me to like smile and be on all the time um but as a librarian like i i have to for my job so like i may not feel like i'm naturally good at being um polite and smiling and nice to everybody but i pretend to be and at a certain point like you get so good at pretending that it's like well now i i i am actually good at this like i I have pretended to be good at it for so long that I am actually like can be nice and smiling and polite all the time. Um, So 
you know, at that point, is it still a mask for me to pretend to be extroverted or have I actually like assimilated that into like my, my person, like at, at what point does that become not necessarily a mask, but a character trait? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- I, I think I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, I work in customer service in many capacities and when I'm interacting with customers, I've joked about this with coworkers too, where it's like, instead of just being like, yo, what's up? I'm Mark. I'm all like, Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Everything going okay. And it's like, who the hell is that guy? So it's a very sort of, I, I guess at that point, it's more like a, a, a portrayal or a performance that you have in your wheelhouse. It's, it's a, a skill or a, a tool that you can use to, uh, better yourself, uh, better your place in life. But it's not, I think you're still technically behind a mask there. Cause I think maskless is just how you interact like with, I don't know how you are when you're alone, basically. Yeah. Like, well, which th- thinking of like, you know, how, how can masks help people function in society versus getting lost behind it? I think that, mm. um, I like what you were saying, Mark, if you have that mask of, uh, outgoing, energetic, nice, uh, interacting with people, um, but then you go home and you take it off and you're like, I am done interacting with people, uh, I am done being nice, whatever it might be, um, then that's definitely a mask and you're not getting lost in it. It's not becoming a character trait of you. It might be a character trait of professional you, but not mm. um, not like you. Whereas if you go home and you're still like nice, upbeat, happy interacting with people whatever uh then I, then it is becoming more and more an actual you element that you've just adopted or or learned does that make sense it does i just so, don't know that it's ever so binary i'm sorry martha what you're about to say no it's okay i was just gonna say so at the point at which it beca- which it stops becoming a conscious decision do you think i mm, yeah like it is no it is it is no longer something that i have to like okay now i am going to make the decision to be this way it is just something that i do i i think of it as the like when you shut when you like take your work bag off your shoulder at home are you also taking off the that personality or is that personality continuing mm-hmm. on you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. that, that like that's how, how i sort of think of it because i i am a all about faking it till you make it and then be all about different personae for different social interactions or roles um, that you might be in. But if one of them, and, and then there's your, you know, come home and just be whom you like most naturally and least energy requiring are. Um, and if that's the same as your outgoing social persona, cool. Um, but if it's sort of a very different person, then it, I think it is sort of, you know, you, know, you might have many masks that, that, you have to to alternate between um depending on the situation or maybe not yeah again as i said like a like a tool you have to use it's a performative identity that you can rely on in those situations uh to guarantee a modicum of success but it is still only i guess i guess it's still it's a facet of your personality but it's not who you are 
Although I guess the, the Mother Night would argue otherwise, right? <laughs> yeah, and Mother Night would argue otherwise. We are. Uh-huh. We are who we pretend to be. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's kind of scary. That's, well, yeah. The flip side of that coin, um, I'm going to trot out good old Graham Morrison for a second. He uh, he had some sort of gobbledygook at one point. He was espousing just about how, like, um, if you want to be, like, a sorcerer, then just start acting like a sorcerer and you'll become one. And it's like... Yeah, that's that's probably true. Seems to work out okay well, that's for the same, except for the magic stuff. That's but. the same deal. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying though. Like, uh, okay. dress for the job you want, not the one you have, or whatever that is. That idiom. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you guys also wearing masks during this whole discussion? And I don't mean metaphorical ones; I mean literal <laughs> ones. Yes. Okay. Good. No. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that about does it, I think, for this episode. Um, Since you're listening to this episode, you already know where you can find us. But uh, if a friend is playing this for you, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere else fine podcasts are available. Please rate and review us on wherever you're listening to this, as it helps the magical computer elves deliver us to more people. Uh, I don't actually know how algorithms work, and I assume that that's what's happening. That's Um, correct. Great. It's legit, yeah. Good. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, feel free to uh, Facebook us at Did You Do Your Homework. You can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter or tweet at us at DYDYH podcast. Our home on the web is homeworkpodcast.com, where we have both links to our episodes and also supplementary blog posts that I suggest you read when we post them. Following us on Twitter and Facebook will let you know when we update that blog. Martha does a fantastic job of updating it and writing far more articles than I do. Um, Mark, do you want people to be able to find you on the internet? And if so, where can they find you? More than anything, I would like people to find me on the internet. Um, That's how I feel, too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, search my full name first and last on the internet and you'll find me somewhere. That is true. You have the least creative handles on every social media. Hey, I do all caps most of the time. That's somewhat creative. <laughs> Great. Are, do you have any like projects or things you want to plug? Any, uh, yeah, anything like that where people can boost your internet profile? Um... Not particularly. I uh, if, if you're looking for a good time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you can come to one of the bars I help run, but otherwise, that's about it. <laughs> what are they? Uh, one is a painting bar called Splash Studio, located in the historic Third Ward of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You can drink and paint there. It's a lot of fun. Conversely, I also help run Nine Below, a mini golf bar. Uh, the way it works is you get to build a mini golf course and then rotate through and play nine holes of mini golf. Both very fun, both great time. You can drink the whole time you're doing the mini golf one is actually really fun. <laughs> oh, but splash! The, the, the painting is too. Whatever. Uh, Martha, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Twitter or Instagram uh, at Magical Martha. Cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Pico three thousand. That's P I K O three thousand. Uh, Martha, what are we talking about next episode? 
So next episode, uh, we will be going guestless, doing something a little bit lighter for the holidays. Uh, Pete and I are going to talk about some of our favorite uh, media to consume during the holiday time. So these are not necessarily Christmas movies so much as they are movies we like to watch around the Christmas season. They might be the same thing, but, you know, we're, we're leaving it a little bit open for you guys. Uh, but what that does mean is that there is no specific homework. I just want you all to go enjoy a feel-good, friendly movie in on my behalf. Yep, you should definitely enjoy the break without homework as we gear up for Thanksgiving. And with that, I think class is dismissed. <laughs>